Today on the Inventive Health Podcast, we are in the room where it happens. The Bio-International Convention is the largest partnership and deal-making convention in the entire biopharmaceutical industry, and we are there. I'll be joined today by Sachin Perwar. My name is Jeff Stewart. Welcome to the Inventive Health Podcast. We're in the room where it happens next. Sachin Perwar, welcome to the Inventive Health Podcast. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. We've known each other for about the last seven years, I think, and worked together for probably five of those in uh, mergers and acquisitions. Can you just describe for the people listening what it is you do? So I'm a uh, senior engagement manager at Inventive Health Consulting, and I focus uh, primarily on helping companies uh, with their uh, needs, licensing needs, so either in-licensing, out-licensing, opportunity assessments, finding partners, uh, even finding assets. And we've worked together on a number of deals. I, I know that um, at Inventive Health Consulting, we've been involved in at least two sell-side billion-dollar transactions. And the one place where it's most exciting and the really the deals start to get done is Bio International. And that's coming up later this month by the time this podcast drops. It will just have happened. Can you tell people who haven't been there what Bio International is? Sure. So Bio International is the biggest deal-making conference within the industry. I believe last year had about 16,000 attendees. And the way it works is a little bit like speed dating, um, if you've ever done it. Basically, they have like thousands of tables across this massive convention hall. Um, and we have pre, you know, meetings that were set up in advance uh, with clients or, or partners of interest. And basically, you get 30 minutes, you sit down with the partner, or potential partner, and you just talk, right? You have a discussion about what you're working on, what the needs could potentially be, and basically how can you uh, work together in the future. And that's pretty much what it is. And you move on to the next. And then, um, you know, after the meeting is over, you, you know, if, if you want to continue that conversation, you can. If not, then you know, it's still good. At least you get to meet new people. The people that are there really come in two flavors. One is the in licensor or the buyer. And then the other one is the out-licensor or the seller. And we think of the in-licensor as big pharma and the out-licensor as developing biotech company, mid-sized pharma and the like. That is correct. So it even goes beyond that because there's a lot of agencies there as well as venture capital uh, financing uh, firms as well. So it, it goes beyond just licensing. It's, it's really partnering for um, to get financing. It's partnering to get you know uh, agency support such as consulting, and that's why we attend. So um, it, it does expand beyond in-licensing but, and out-licensing, but that is the primary focus. Where has the industry been in deals? Just kind of set the stage for us. Where has the market been? Is, are we in a good spot? Are we in a bad spot? Are deals happening? Have they not been happening? Well, we've seen in the last three years just unprecedented um, highs with respect to deal making. I mean, you're talking about high of 2015 of $425 billion, which is more than two, 2x the, the trends that we've seen in the past you know, 10 years. 2016 did come down, but it's still historically high. And in 2017, we're, we're still seeing a, a pretty good trajectory, uh, which shouldn't get close to the 2016 numbers, but not quite as, as much. People are doing deals. They're still at not historically high levels, but close to it, uh, close to historically high levels on deal making um, so far for the year, projected to do so for the end of the year. Um, and that puts us now in a position to talk about what we're here to talk about on the show, and that is the Dealmakers Intentions Survey. So it's a Dealmakers Intentions is a survey that Inventive Health does on a yearly basis. This is our ninth year of this forward-looking survey where we speak to 
pharmaceutical executives, the ones that are really involved in the deal making. So they could be executives in BD, it could be the CEOs, so anyone that has inputs into licensing. And we try to get input as to where they think the deal making uh, trends are going to occur in the coming year. So this is forward looking from first quarter, um, what they think will happen throughout the rest of 2017. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. You have about 107 people who gave um, responses back, about half of them on the sell side, about half of them on the buy side. Companies that span the range of market caps from about half of them seemed like they were above about 500 million stage, about half below, and um, just a good mix. Um, So we understand what's going on in both the buy side and the sell side. All right. What do they think? (laughs) That's a pretty loaded question. But what we're seeing this year, based on the results of the survey, is that, um, as we mentioned before, the deal-making is still very strong, you know, from historical terms. It's a seller's market. Um, There's a lot of buyers out there. There's a lot of financing options available to buyers. Um, So what we're seeing is, and that's primarily why we're seeing the strong deal flow that we're going to expect in 2017. If we look specifically by something like what stage of development, we don't necessarily see that as a seller's market across the board. Where is it a seller's market? Where is it a buyer's market? That's a great question. So what we're seeing is there are more buyers interested in the phase three and marketed products, and we see more sellers in the preclinical. And it could be just because there's more companies, smaller companies that are you know, in the preclinical phase, and they have a lot of assets to sell. But primarily, if you take a look at demand um, and supply within each of these phases, you'll see that ultimately there's more buyers than sellers in phase three and marketed, and there's more sellers than buyers in preclinical. This is something that we have seen, I think, in past versions of the dealmaker's intentions, and I think goes well into what people expect in the industry. That is, if you have an early stage asset, you have a lot of people with early stage assets, and it's hard to sell because there are very few buyers in that field, though more than there used to be, I have to admit. It used to be that preclinical um, assets really were not of interest to large pharma, but that has changed um, still. It is a buyer's market for preclinical assets. By the time you get to phase three and marketed, uh, there aren't as many assets to pick up. When they are there, there are a lot of buyers that are looking for something in phase three or marketed. Late stage assets are king. Correct. And and one thing that we've seen in the preclinical this year compared to last year is that there are even less buyers interested in preclinical assets. And I think that a common theme that we saw throughout the survey is buyers are becoming a little more picky and risk averse. And I think it could just be um, just having a little more kind of focus on what they want to invest in, or they just don't want to get burned by some of these. Um... Actually, I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, I, I, and I understand that that's actually a big deal. This is something that we had seen the opposite of over the past few years, if I'm recalling correctly from when um, I was one of the people that working on the dealmakers intention survey we really were looking at a deeper and deeper look back where in licensors were willing to go back and look at preclinical assets and smaller assets. And you'd hear things just verbally, such as really no market is too small, we'll consider anything. And the sorts of um, peak revenue expectations that were hard cutoffs in organizations tended to drift down and down and down to where people were willing to do singles and doubles, not looking for home runs every time. This pullback from the preclinical set, that's kind of a big deal um, and is an early sign that there could be slowdowns coming up. I know that that isn't necessarily going to 
um, gel with what the rest of what we heard. But as we're talking about it, that seems like that that could be an I don't want to say a canary in a coal mine, but um, something that is a little bit troubling at least. Yeah, and that's definitely one way to look at it. But the, and another way is that since you do have fi- financing, and, and even if the companies are risk averse, maybe they have a little more to spend on a, on an asset that has a little more data back backing it. So I think they're willing to take that risk and pay a little more for the you know for for the I guess the added security of having something in a, in a later stage. That makes sense. We talk about buyers and sellers or buyers markets, sellers markets across therapeutic areas. How about within therapeutic areas? Are there therapeutic areas that are essentially buyer's markets? Are there therapeutic areas where it's going to be hard to sell because there are a lot of sellers, a lot more than buyers? What we saw in the survey this year is that we do have a seller's market, um, and that's where we have a demand surplus in the areas of women's health, hematology, hepatic, as well as CNS neurology, which is everything except pain. And where we're seeing a supply surplus where it's basically a buyer's market is uh, CNS, psychiatry, cardiovascular, and inflammation. And those seem to be the, the hot areas this year. Sachin, outside of the, the areas that are clear therapeutic areas, hot or not 2017, pharma. Two areas that kind of came to the forefront as being, um, you know, one of the, the, hot, the hottest areas for 2017, which is CAR T-cell therapy, as well as CRISPR-Cas9. So those two came to the forefront and are, are hands down um, areas where there's the highest enthusiasm for, for deal making. I also see on here nanoparticles still um, rising up to near the top, not quite near, just a, a one that's often mentioned along with personalized medicine, stem cells still there, but drop offs on things that used to be the hot, um, hot kids in town, I guess. Yep, that, that is correct. One of the things that I look for every year, and it's it's my favorite, favorite part of the Dealmaker's Intention Survey, and something called the discount rate. And before we get into why it's important, can you just tell us what is a discount rate? So the discount rate is basically the cost of capital that a company uses for evaluation of any asset they're looking, that they have or they're looking to acquire. So it's also important because when you look at valuation, the cost of capital really impacts the, the final number at what you're seeing. So a higher discount rate is going to give you a lower valuation and a lower discount rate is going to give you a higher valuation. And it really, the, the cost of capital for a company is based off of their risk profile. So uh, a, a stable, large pharmaceutical company may have a discount rate in the single digits, like you know, seven, eight, nine percent whereas a smaller biotech or startup could be in the high teens, even up to about 20% discount rate. So when we think about discount rate, it's basically the same thing as an interest rate. And we don't usually fund pharma companies through a lot of debt. But if we did, this would be like being on a credit card. If you're a a small biotech, you have not only a credit card, but a credit card in not very good um, terms. Whereas if you're a pharma company, then you have something more like bond level, maybe a a high-end corporate bond, but a bond level sort of debt. And you can wait more for your money if you have a low discount rate and you need your money now because you need to pay off that credit card if you have a high discount rate. That is a, that is a great way to put it. And one of the reasons I find discount rates so interesting when they have in-licensors and out-licensors is when you have a difference in discount rates, when a somebody's on credit cards and another person has student loans, then there's a reason to make a deal between those two. You want to pay off the credit card as quickly as possible. And you don't want to pay off the student loan. The person with the student loan is kind of willing to take on some of the credit card debt. 
you wouldn't buy a student loan with a credit card, but you get the idea that if you could transfer the money from the credit card to the student loan, you'd do it. You'd do it as much as you can and as fast as you can. And that difference in those two rates is what drives that. We think of it as like this rubber band stretching between in-licensers and out-licensers. And the farther apart those discount rates are, then the more assets want to snap from the small company to the large company. They just have to go there because the value is so great if you can get it out of the hands of the small company and into the hands of the large company. With that kind of setup, where have we been in the past? Have we had a large gap in the past? Where are we in 2017 and what might it mean? That's a great question. So traditionally, you know, the sellers, you'd see a discount rate in the 15% range and the buyers somewhere in the kind of low teens, 12, 13%. So what we've seen from a gap perspective is about 2% per year, 2 or 3%. What we saw in 2013 was an anomaly, which is 18% for sellers and 10% for buyers. And you're seeing a spread of 8%. And what we saw also two years down the road from 2013 to go off your, of your point of needing to make deals is an unprecedented year of deals in 2015. So what we think happened there is that people were clamoring for deals. There you saw that large spread in the discount rate. Things were becoming more attractive for buyers. And they ended up kind of looking for deals. And it took about you know a year and a half, two years to kind of impl- incorporate. What we're seeing in 2017 is another large gap, although not to the same extent as 2013. So what we're seeing in 2017 is a gap of 4%. You're seeing a 20% discount rate for sellers, which is still very high, and 16% for buyers. So what we think that might do is translate into more buyers kind of entering the market. And what we're going to see is kind of those deals that they're starting to seek out this year uh, coming to fruition in about one to two years time frame. As you mentioned, there's this two-year gap that existed between a huge discount rate spread in 2013 and 2015, greatest deal year ever. Two years is not just a random number or lag between those. That's how long deals generally take to, to close from when you start deals to when you finalize and you have transferred an asset from one to the, another, at least in our experience and in surveys in the past where we ask how long it takes to close deals. That is correct. I think probably the last place that um, we want to cover for the for the dealmakers intention survey is just talk about how hard it is to make a deal, and that changes over time. How hard is it to make a deal these days? You know, as we talked about before, that you know, if you go to bio, there's sixteen thousand people there, so there's a huge slew of activity. But ultimately, the conversion rate from opportunities considered to actually a complete transaction is only three point nine percent. Um, that's what we're going to see for 2017. In the last three years, we saw it a little higher at 5%, so that number is coming down. Once again, it could be uh, more towards you know trying to find the right opportunity and, and maybe pe- people being a little more risk-averse this year. But ultimately, it's pretty low. I think one of the last notes of hope that we really get, in, even in the face of a less than 4% conversion rate, is that the reasons that people don't do deals mostly they're in the hands of us as in-licensers and out-licensers. Can you just explain that for a little bit? Sure. So the reason that deals fail, I mean, if you take a look at the top two reasons in the survey, it's basically differing opinions on the commercial potential of the product as well as unreasonable term expectations. So I think this is (laughs) probably has happened in in the history of M&A is that obviously the buyers 
want to get the asset for as cheap as possible and sellers want to get the most money they possibly potentially can. So that's what we're seeing. I mean, both, basically those two elements, but as Jeff mentioned before, those things can be controlled. And, I mean, those are in the hands of the actual, you know, buyers and sellers. So if they, you know, they can come to an agreement, you can change your assumptions within any, in, within any model. You can kind of influence the other party with, with the, the secondary data or the facts to show why your evaluation is correct and theirs isn't. So it can be overcome, but from what we are seeing, those are the two biggest hurdles right now. We certainly see this when we're working with clients. Um, I can say that in as my time as head of search and evaluation for Inventive Health, I saw a lot of forecasts that I'm not going to call out any names, but they didn't make really a lick of sense. And that, it, as, a, as one sitting there as a consumer of these, as a person on the buy side, trying to understand a forecast and saying, could I make a deal on this? It was really hard to make a deal if someone was saying that, they were looking at a multi-billion dollar asset when looking at comparables or talking to physicians got you to something like $100 million. It really gave me an appreciation, Sajin, of the work that you do for clients to help them have a credible forecast, not an incredible forecast that makes a deal truly impossible, but a credible one that makes a deal possible. So thank you, Sachin, and thank you for being on the Inventive Health Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions, or if you just want to talk about a particularly challenging issue that you face at your company, you may email me at podcast at inventivehealth.com. We're consultants. That's what we do. <laughs> that's a pretty loaded question. And the way it works is a little bit like speed dating. 